Welcome to the Radical Departures podcast, your source for startup storytelling. We're your hosts, Abby and Chris. You'll hear informative discussions full of valuable expertise and actionable insight on the issues you face when launching and growing your startup. This is episode 22 of the Radical Departures podcast. Our guest today is Tim Mevel, co-founder of HelloZack, a startup based in Paris that buys back your used Apple products hassle-free. In this episode, Tim discusses his entrepreneurial background, how HelloZack has pivoted to their now super well-positioned spot, and why they've chosen to contain their growth so far in order to make sure they could be in the best position possible to scale up. A quick reminder, if you're enjoying Radical Departures, please head over to iTunes, leave us a review, and let us know what you like about the show and who you'd like to hear us interview. So without further ado, here's episode 22 with Tim Mevel. Hi, Tim. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your company? Hi, Abby. Hi, Chris. So I'm Tim. I'm the co-founder of HelloZack. So basically, HelloZack is, uh, well, we buy back your old Apple devices, cash anywhere, anytime. So we realized, as you all know, you can buy with one click on Amazon. It's so easy to buy stuff online or uh, today. But when it comes to selling stuff, it can be a pain. It can be a hassle. You have to uh, go on these websites. So for, for the Americans, it's going to be Craigslist. France here, it's going to be Le Bon Coin. Uh, or eBay or, uh, or Price Minister on the marketplace. And you're going to have to do all these steps to sell your, your device. So you're going to have to um, create an account, take pictures, find the right price, talk to people. A lot are going to be scams. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've all received this message of, um, of a guy telling you, uh, can I pay you by PayPal? Uh, can you send it uh, to this address? And then uh, he even he's going to send you a confirmation email uh, from PayPal saying he paid you up. All, the, all this is scam. Uh, and um, so we really wanted to simplify the whole process and be uh, as uh, transparent as possible. So basically, you just go on our website. If you have an Apple device, you make an estimation in just uh, a few clicks. So you say, oh, I have an iPhone 6, uh, 64 gigs. Uh, and then you receive an estimation. So I don't know, we can, we'll buy it back for 250 euros. You just book a pickup guy and it's going to come anywhere, anytime to pick up your iPhone. And we pay you on the spot. So just three easy steps where you make an estimation, book, and you get paid on the spot. Yeah, I have done it just to get a price quote, and it's super easy to use. I was impressed because I've used sites like Glide or um, Gazelle in the States, and it's a little bit more lengthy of a process. This is super simple. And you you actually have people who will come and give you cash at the door. Exactly. That's well, cool. so we don't give cash. Oh, okay. So when we say cash, it's that we pay you on the spot. Okay. But we have, uh, so we use wire transfers. Mm-hmm. We use uh, checks. We okay. use uh, Lydia as well. So mobile uh, payments, uh, pumpkin and uh, PayPal as well. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get paid on the spot, but not cash. But yeah, we have our pickup guys that are trained by uh, HelloZack. We don't use uh, other companies because uh, we've seen that it the experience that we want to show our customers isn't really respected when you use uh, other services. Mm-hmm. So we train our guys and they, they know exactly what to check on the device to see if the device uh, fits the, the description that you entered on, the, on your estimation. So there's these little uh, checkpoints that he has to, um, to look for. And then he, he confirms the transaction and he pays you on the spot. And then we, in terms of customer experience, we want to make it as, as friendly as possible, uh, 
Uh, sometimes we have little goodies uh, with little Kinder Buenos that we can, we'll give you a little, well, things like that. When and because we really want to change this image of when you when you, have, you want to sell your old device, it can be a pain, and we want to make it as friendly and yeah. as simple as possible. I, I don't really like. Well, nobody likes the experience that you're gonna have on on this website, but everybody uses it because yeah. everybody. That that was our main goal in the beginning when we launched Hello Zach uh, in Berkeley. What we realized is that so many people have things to sell. Everybody has things to sell, but a lot of people don't want to take care about it. So our first offer when we launched Hello Zach, so that's where the, the name comes from, we chose uh, Zach as your personal seller. That was the first offer. We were your personal seller. We would come at your house, pick up all the stuff you wanted to sell and sell it for you. And we would take a commission on all the, on the goods that we managed to sell. So that offer got a lot of interest from a lot of people. We had so many uh, demands. I remember when when we started very small and uh, in, in Berkeley, just testing this idea and we would uh, book a, a pickup to go in people's homes and get as much other items as they wanted to sell. And that was fun and we had a lot of demand, but then we realized that it was so hard to scale. I remember we had to sell a horse seat. A saddle? A saddle. <laughs> so that was one of our first sales. A horse saddle. We had um, a telescope. We had uh, electronic devices, of course. We had clothes, so we had so many different types of items, and it was so hard to be experts on each category because right. well, the person was just telling us, okay, sell it for me, please, uh, as much as you can, but we had to see how much it was worth on the market. Mm. So it took a lot of time per item to, uh, to, see, uh, the, for the, well, to look for the right price and uh, to talk with, uh, with people that, uh, that knew about the item. So they were like, uh, uh, do you know if the lens is, uh, is 2.4? So we had to be experts on every type of item. And that's why we pivoted in uh, last October, so October uh, 2016. We looked at our numbers. We saw that we had huge demand, but it was impossible to scale in terms of logistics because we had to store everything. So we had couches, we had sofas, we had telescopes, we had iPhones. And so we just stopped. We had a, a meeting, I remember, uh, last year with the, my two co-founders. And we just said, okay, guys, the offer that we're proposing is very good. Everyone, Everybody wants to use it. But unfortunately, we're not going to be able to deliver. It's yeah. too broad. We have too many items to deal with. We're not going to be able to scale and make something interesting out of it. So we just looked at our figures and we realized that we had already 30% of our, of our revenue that was coming from electronic devices and mostly Apple yeah. devices. And these devices were very small, so very easy to store. Uh, they were um, being sold very, very um, fast. We would sell these items in less than two days and for good prices. So we said, okay, guys, let's just try to do something very good and try to scale on one specific category and then we'll see if we can offer something else. So last October, we changed our, our offer of Zach, your personal seller, and we changed to Zach buys back your Apple devices cash anywhere, anytime. So we focused on Apple products and on, the, um, on buying on the spot as well because before you would just tell us, okay, try to sell this for me and we would store it. And then if we didn't manage to sell it, we would give, you, give it back to you. Mm. But in terms of logistics, that was such a hassle as well because you had to, uh, we had to tell the guys, okay, uh, we haven't managed to sell it for now, but uh, it's going well or we're, going, we're doing two more weeks and then we'll see. So all this uh, following that we had to do with the customers that took a lot of time. So we mm. said, okay, now we just buy back. So it's done. The guy is happy. Uh, he has his money. And then we sell it on our own. So do you typically buy like the last one or two generations of Apple products or? Yeah, so so 
not only the the new of course I mean, uh, we have a, we buy a lot of different devices hello zach currently we stop at for for example for the iphone we stop at the iphone 5s so we're not going to buy something lower than 5s because for example there's apple that uh, that stops uh, repairing yeah, yeah to yeah. support uh, yeah. 4 and 4s they they stopped uh, recently so you're not going to be able to upgrade the, the this phone in the mm-hmm. future so we we stop buying them we have to look as well if it's interesting for the customer to buy back his item because if you tell him uh, yeah we can buy it back from you but uh, it's five euros uh, yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. not going to be happy so yeah. right. we have to look at items where it's good for somebody to sell it through our services because he gets a uh, nice cash and then it has to be uh, sellable as well mm-hmm. online so but today a lot of people continue to buy uh, iphone 5 iphone right. 5s there's a huge secondhand market there are a lot of people that want to have iphones but are not ready to pay 800 euros or right. even more than a thousand mm-hmm. for the iPhone 10 that got out. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're buying used phones that are maybe two, three years old, but they're paying it, uh, I don't know, from 150 to uh, 350 euros. So it's pretty good. Between the iPhones and the laptops and the iPads, what's the hottest product that sells? There's a huge demand for, uh, for smartphones and so iPhones for us. But there are also a lot of uh, actors and a lot of competitors on this market because mm-hmm. it's a huge market. So many smartphones sold every year and with, in the Christmas period, it's even, mm-hmm. even worse and Black Friday and uh, everything. So, so I would say the, our biggest demand is, uh, is on smartphones. But for us, the, really our, um, our differentiation is mainly on MacBooks because right. uh, you have a lot of competitors that, well, you can even sell your, uh, your iPhone to your phone carrier, your right. mm-hmm. phone operator. He's going to buy it lower than us, but, I mean, you can do it. There are a lot of, uh, of options. For MacBooks, it's harder. To, nobody today just makes an estimation of your MacBook in two clicks and mm-hmm. comes by the, at your home uh, the next hour and pays you on the spot. Nobody right. does that. So you're going to have to go through website and what I was talking about earlier. You're going to have to go through all this hassle if you don't go through Elozac. Now, are you guys operating only in France? Are you all around Europe right now? What's your market look like? We're in France, so our pickup guys, they're in Paris only for now. And for France, we have this label, um, well, we send, we send you a, a free label mm-hmm. uh, to, to, send your, um, to send your device to us. So we're operating in, uh, in the whole of France, and we could have chosen the model where, okay, we raised uh, millions uh, and uh, we, developed, uh, well, we, we developed the concept in, in every big city of the world. I'm um, thinking about New York, where there's a huge density of devices in Ma- Manhattan, in, of Apple devices in Manhattan. So it's a really interesting market to be um, to go there. And there's uh, San Francisco as well, where we had a competitor that, that was there. They raised a million dollars from Peter Thiel's fund, but they stopped because of um, of uh, disputes between co-founders. So they had nothing to do with the market. There was a market. They were growing very fast, but they stopped for that. So we decided not to go, well, for now at least, not to go um, with VCs and raise uh, millions and go everywhere. Because since this offer is kind of new from last October where we pivoted, and we're really in this uh, lean startup approach where we want to try our, our offer. Now we've consolidated this new offer for, for a year. We're, we're um, at a half a million uh, revenue for this new offer in, uh, in less than a year. And so we're really taking things step by step, and we're very close to being uh, profitable. We've had a, a small uh, seed round in January with private investors. We chose investors that um, 
trusted us, trusted the, the team uh, mostly and trusted uh, our new offer and would let us uh, work and just create a profitable company. And then when, once we have this profitable model, the idea is to replicate it. But of course, it's a, it's a choice from our hand and uh, it can be uh, challenged. It can be, well, some, some people are not uh, don't agree with this choice, but we really wanted to have um, a model where we would uh, become profitable as soon as possible and start and grow from there and uh, replicate the model. We didn't want to raise millions, go big and try to be profitable in three, four or five years and uh, or a crash as uh, eight or nine out of 10 startups do around today. I don't think there's one size fits all for it. It's it's what everybody is as a founder, you're comfortable with one model or another and there's no right or wrong. But, uh, you know, as we were saying earlier, I think there's something to be said for kind of working out the kinks, working out the issues before you throw a lot of money at it because uh, you you can throw a lot of money at it and and it could just expand on some of the issues that you had. My, my main advice and what I, I've learned from this first experience, since it's my, it's my very first company I'm launching, and I launched it uh, straight out of school, coming out of, uh, out of my master's degree. And what I would uh, advise people is really to start, well, know your customers from, the, from day one and start very small by building an MVP. You always hear these, uh, these words, these big words. But um, you have to focus on one main feature that you want to offer to to your customers build the mvp so it can i remember last year when when we were uh, even in, in berkeley when I, when I was talking about the the pickup that we just uh, rented to go in a house so all this was just testing testing mm-hmm. our idea going out to, to talking to customers and at the beginning nothing was automated or it was automated but we used other services online uh, other tools i remember our first website was just a type form where people would say, I have this to sell. And then uh, we would receive an email and saying, uh, oh, shoot, guys, we have to price this. Uh, there's, uh, there's somebody asking for, for an estimation. And we would estimate it, go online, see, uh, see on eBay how much it costs. And so that's, that's the fun part, but that's how you start. And right. it's, that's what I want to, to tell uh, other students that are launching or, or trying ideas. Don't spend thousands of euros trying to build something and that you haven't tested. Right. Just start by building something just that works. And people are happy with like it. You always hear this uh, fake it until you make it. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. We, yeah. we faked everything at the beginning, of course, <laughs> because we, we, we wanted to test our product. We didn't yeah. want to. We, we don't know. We didn't know if it was going to work. So we would price these items and then send an email. OK, uh, considering the market, uh, this is how much we can sell your product. Are you OK? And then you would say, OK. Um, and then um, we would send somebody to, uh, to pick up the item. Or at the beginning, it was us co-founders mm-hmm. that were going to to the customer's home and uh, and picking up their items and talking with our customers that's how we managed to get feedback direct feedback so that's how we started and it's pretty fun to talk about it and we use after we tools that are available online to automate things it's so cool i don't know if you've heard about zapier z-a-p-i-e-r so it's a tool that can connect your gmail with your slack it can connect uh, your uh, crm uh, with well it can connect a lot of applications mm-hmm. it can create links and that's how we automated stuff at the beginning. We, we had our type form, and then we used a Zapier that took the answers from the type form and sent us a Slack. So we were we knew in, um, in directly everything, every estimation coming on Slack, and then we, uh, we connected it to, uh, to Airtable, which is kind of an Excel sheet uh, where we had our first prices. Well, if in the type form the person said iPhone 6, uh, 64 gigs, and then we linked it to the Airtable, so we automated this with Zapier. Mm. 
and uh, it hit in the Airtable uh, the right price. It mm -hmm. found the price, and then you say you create another. Uh, we call it zaps. We call it. We call it a zap. You create another zap that says, okay, you take the price that you have in Airtable and you send an email. So that's how we automated mm -hmm. stuff in the beginning, just using tools that were available online that were that were free or cost I don't know twenty euros a month, and then. We tested our product. We had uh, thousands of people uh, making estimations, and then we built on that, and we hired developers, and then we we created a real product, and now everything's automated. But that's that's how you start, and it's uh, that's the fun part. It's good to hear the behind the scenes stuff too. It's <laughs> like you guys sitting there checking eBay. <laughs> oh shit! All right, go. It's so funny <laughs> to see all the things we've went through for for the past two years. And when we when we sit in a, in a meeting today with a, all our team, well, for now, well, currently we're eight in the team. So we've employed um, people over the last month, and we just sit down and say, "Okay, guys, I don't know if you realize, but today, every like we can just we're having this meeting, and things are going uh, on their own or automated on the website. Things, like guys are making estimations, or are uh, booking delivery guys, uh, our delivery guys are going there uh, automatically and picking up the items. So everything goes on automatically now. But <laughs> last year it was nothing like that. It, we had we had to go through uh, so many steps. And that's the fun part of building a, mm -hmm. building a startup and building a product in general. And that's why I always mention the, the Lean Startup from Eric Ries. That's, that's what our, um, our teachers in, in Berkeley and in Polytechnique teach us is uh, really start with a MVP, Lean Startup, and build on from that. And it's, it's probably the, the most funny things you're going to talk about after in, uh, when, you, when your company starts being a, a real company and works. It's uh, behind the scenes, yeah, it's pretty. What kind of a mistake do you feel that you made at the beginning and you look back and said, oh, that was kind of a crazy idea, but I mean, everybody makes mistakes, but then you figure out a way to get through it. What, what's an example of something that, you look back and say, what was I thinking? So, of course, when you start, and as I was saying, it's my first company, so I've, I have a lot of things to learn, and that's the main goal of this startup, is to learn. Fail and learn, fail and learn. That's what we learn uh, mostly in the, in the Silicon Valley. I like their way of looking at failure, because in France, when you fail, you're, you're a failure, and you're, all the people look at you like, okay, you failed, you're, you're, you're bad, you, you suck. <laughs> so, in the U.S., Everybody that fails is happy. It's almost like a trophy when you fail. Uh, yeah, I've, I've launched three startups. I failed all three, but now my fourth one is a, is a huge mm -hmm. blast, and I'm going big. And and I love that. Uh, well, of course, you, you have to uh, succeed in life. <laughs> and I'm not saying that you always have to fail, but it's where you learn. And so my main goal for this startup was fail and learn. That's what I, I started with when going out of school. Okay. You've had your your um, education. You went to uh, middle school, high school. You went to a class prepa in France, uh, so preparatory classes that are kind of intense. Then you went to engineering school, entrepreneurship, masters. But you haven't launched a startup, and the first one is going to be a fail and learn, and you're gonna it's going to be the the continuation of well the the next step of your education. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty happy because my education, the, this step of my education, is now going pretty well, and we're going to be profitable. But at the beginning, it was really this. It was try to learn as much as possible, make a lot of mistakes. And so, yeah, basically it's creating a first, um, well, working with uh, lawyers to create a first co-founder agreement, mm -hmm. then have your first um, oh shit moments, as we say, <laughs> where I don't know, your uh, your delivery guy is gonna, is gonna go away with two iPads and you're gonna be like, uh, okay, so we didn't see that coming. <laughs> what can we do now? We failed on this, we lost two iPads. So now how can we solve this uh, this problem? But we have, we had, 
so many examples of, uh, as, uh, as my uh, teacher said in Berkeley, uh, Mark Coopersmith, he said, you have these oh shit moments and these uh, oh wow moments. Like, uh, okay, it's so very good news. And that's, that's what entrepreneurship is about. Is every day you're going to have a good news, a bad news, and you, you just have to continue. And you, know, you can have very bad news and then the next morning, very good news. So I don't know if there's uh, one mistake that I, I can think of, but there are so many every day. And you learn, you learn, and uh, I would say yeah, you just have to have to make mistakes. And did you always want to be an entrepreneur, or did you envision a more classical trajectory for yourself? To be honest, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. What you want to be in life really comes from your education, your own education and environment when you're younger. I was raised in a in a family where my my father always had his his own company. So he's an entrepreneur as well, and he's he's been creating startups. Well, not start. He doesn't call them startups because he's in the kind of the old system. But he for thirty years he's been building companies, creating companies that are that have been pretty successful. And my mother was working with him, so I've I was always in this entrepreneurship uh, mindset. Well, his goal has always been to uh, create a company and make profits to secure the family, to to have a secure home, to have a secure. Uh, income for the family and make sure that everybody is feeling good so that was his main goal in life and i, I respect him for that and, and it's really how i was raised and i haven't really thought about well i've thought about it but i haven't really wanted to to go in big companies or even in uh, other companies and be uh, an employee i'm saying that today maybe it, it might change in 10 years when i've uh, i've got a, a lot of uh, slaps in the head i don't know <laughs> i'll see but uh, for now I, i'm definitely Thinking as an like an entrepreneur, and I, and I want to create my my own uh, my own job. I mean, I'm, I want to work for, uh, of course, to to make uh, good products and to help uh, people uh, as much as I can. But also uh, to be uh, your own boss and to uh, I mean, if you don't wake up in the morning, well, your company is not going to work. So it's it, you have a direct impact on your income at the end of the of the month or at the end of the year. So I, I like this mindset, and uh, and I would say that's. That's how I got raised. So that's that's the main reason. So the company you're looking at, you're almost profitable. Once you get the business going, you you might raise uh, some more money. What what do you see in the future? How do you see the company evolving? Because it's made a lot of changes. You've you've made a nice pivot last year. You're now seeing some really good progress. How do you how do you move forward? So yeah, as I was saying, we're we're almost profitable, and what we're we're getting a bit more money from our private investors. That are allowing us to go reach that break-even point because, uh, as I was saying, it's a matter of months. I hope that it's going to be in three months, but uh, we never know. But so they're trusting us and they're giving us uh, a bit more money to go to reach that point. And you have a good and relationship then, with them. You have a you have a balance that you're quite comfortable with. Very good, very good. And that's the most important thing when you raise funds. Is uh, of course not everybody has the opportunity to choose who are going to be their their investors. But don't uh, try to go too fast. I mean, if you don't feel uh, good with an investor or you feel like he's going to be too pushy or he's not going to fit in your culture or he's not going to let you work as, as you want, don't go with them. You, have, you really have to build a true relationship with your investors. We have private investors, sorry, as I was saying, and um, we have a very good relationship with them. We have uh, regular meetings with them to keep them uh, posted about what's going on. But they've always uh, backed us up when things were going maybe uh, worse than they, they were supposed to. Right. And now they really understand our vision. So we're almost there. We're almost break even. We have a, 
uh, more and more uh, sales uh, every uh, every month. So we have currently we're on a ten percent uh, growth uh, monthly on our sales. And I'm not saying it's a uh, awesome ten percent. It, it's not. It's not big. It's just we're taking things. I mean, sl- not slowly because it's not. It's not slow. It's just uh, we're building a serious model where it's going to be profitable, and every month we sell more. And we're not looking for this 100% uh, growth, but not being profitable. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're trusting us. They're giving us uh, more money currently. So we're currently looking for funds, but we have our private investors that are going to give um, give more funds. And then we're mostly looking for banks and uh, loans because we need to finance our, our stock because since we sell more, we have to buy more. Mm-hmm. And we sell on platforms, for example, Amazon, eBay, back market, etc., and these platforms pay us in a 20, 30 days uh, mm-hmm. period. So we have almost 30 days to finance for our stock to finance. So right. well, the person that's going to give us money for the, to finance is not a big risk. It's, it has nothing to do with last year when we went to investors saying, OK, we have this great idea where we're going to buy back products uh, and it's going to go big. That was a big investment. Well, that was a risky investment. But now we found this model that's going to be profitable and we just need to finance the stocks. Yeah, you just need the cash yeah, on hand. Yeah, we just need the cash on Yeah. Why did you guys choose to start the company here? Is it because you're all French? You wanted to be in Paris? You saw a lot of potential? Mm-hmm. So we could have launched uh, in, uh, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. There were guys doing uh, almost the same thing as we were doing. I would say it's mostly because we all had uh, classes to, go to attend mm-hmm. in France. Because when uh, we were in Berkeley for, uh, for six months, after we had classes in Paris to finish our master's degree. So um, I would say it's... That, that's the main reason, of course. We had to go back, so we didn't have the choice. After that, we could have gone back to uh, to San Francisco, for example. But we chose to stay in France because we know the French market better than uh, than in the U.S. Uh, all the in terms of logistics, all the par- partners that we can have in France, we were well aware of. But in in the U.S., it's uh, we we could do that that work, of course. But it's uh, it's it takes time to uh, to know the right uh, partners um, to for market research as well. So we decided to start in France uh, for these reasons. But um, as I was saying, once the, our model is profitable and we found a really a, a nice model, we we hope on replicating it in uh, in San Francisco and New York. You've alluded to a lot of versions of an answer to this, I think. But how do you define success? I think it's a very interesting question, and it depends on the, on each person is different defining that success. For me. As I was saying, for for this first company, of, uh, well, if we talk professionally, it's very linked. When, when you're an entrepreneur, professional and personal is very linked because it's your day-to-day uh, life. It's everything is linked with your with your startup. So my main definition of success, at least for this company, because I think it's uh, success is defined only for certain periods of time or on certain projects. You can't define success in life. Like what what is it? What does it mean to be successful in life? In, in a step of your life, what does it mean to be successful? And on this step, so I've had a lot of successes in, in my um, childhood because I, was, I had goals for uh, to go in a good engineering school, uh, to, uh, to have good grades. Well, you, you have a little, little successes like, like these ones. And then on this company, in, uh, on my first startup, the, the goal was to fail and learn, go through all these steps that I didn't know of. And, and so, as I was saying, uh, yeah, talk with lawyers, uh, have your first... Uh, employee that stuff because uh, I was never an employee for someone and I had to employ somebody so I had to learn that it's very tough and then we had an experience where it didn't work out with an employee so you're the first time you you have to fire someone 
uh, you have to go through all these steps. And the first time we raised funds, because we did raise funds. So all these steps are very interesting. And for me, that's, that's how I defined my success for this uh, project in particular. Yeah, for me, it, it was a success. So I succeeded in that project because I wanted to learn. And I've learned a lot of things. And so that's the, the, the main thing on this project. But now, if, if I can make it profitable and live out of it or, or have, um, then, then have this first success uh, in terms of uh, profits, then it's great. But uh, So yeah, that's how I would define success. And then I was talking about it uh, when I was mentioning my father. For me personally, a success is, my success would be to reach the life that I want. I mean, the, the quality of life that I have in head, in my mind. I know that I want a certain quality of life. With a, I want to be in a, in a certain uh, type of home, uh, have a, raise a family, allow them to go to have uh, what they want, but not everything they want. Because I, I think that you have to work to get what you want, but to have um, at least the the necessary things and be able to pay for it, and uh, have a pretty good life where you 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 work for it, but you arrived at a point where you can live with without stress. So it's yeah, it's mostly get to that point where your work is just uh, on one hand pleasure because uh, it takes guts and your all your guts and uh, all your your mind uh, so you have to be well focused on your on your on your company but so it's linked with pleasure and uh, quality of life and uh, the you have to have find the right balance between personal and professional life and I really, I really focus on that even today. And that was uh, one of our main uh, discussion at the beginning of the startup between between co-founders. We said, okay, guys, uh, we're launching this company. We have a lot of ambitions. We, uh, it's our first startup, uh, etc. But we want also to have a good balance between private life and uh, professional life because it's so important when you launch a startup. Everybody thinks it's a sprint because you have to go fast. No, it's a, it's a marathon. It's gonna it's going to be long. It's going to be hard. So you have to have the right balance. I see all these uh, these entrepreneurs today that say, "Yeah, we work. Uh, we don't have weekends. We don't have. Uh, we work until two a.m. We want to build a product. We want to deliver." I don't agree with that vision. Of course, we have in Hello Zach. We we we've had uh, times where we had to rush sessions. I mean, uh, sprints and mm-hmm. for for two days a week, you're going to have to work a lot. Okay, but. On the long term, you have to uh, to have also uh, things outside of your startup. I put um, the big emphasis on sports as well. Mm-hmm. I know that personally, I need to have a physical activity to uh, yeah to have a sports session every other day uh, because it's so important because it, it just uh, refreshes your ideas and uh, and you need that uh, in order to have um, find your right balance. So I would say it's find the balance between the good um, well eat eat healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, to go do a lot of sports and find your balance as well with your uh, on your personal life in terms of uh, relations either with your boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, husband, uh, wife, or um, as well with your with your family and friends. So it's really important to balance this and to come back to success in my life. Uh, I I can say that I I will have succeeded once I find the perfect balance uh, between um, private and personal life, and that I can. I can have a certain quality of life that I have in mind. I think it's a it's a healthy way to look at it. It's a much more sustainable plan to have this way than, you know, yeah, you work just all out crazy until you guys make, you know, whatever, however many millions mm-hmm. of dollars in sale. Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. This this is a way of life. Well, we all I think we all have um a number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
where we said, okay, if I have this on my bank account, it will be, I mean, I, I can have a, the quality of life I want. And I think that um, that number is not very high mm-hmm. when you think of it and the value, the true value of things and what you really need in your everyday life. It's not very high. It's, of course, no, not everybody, uh, not everybody has it and can maybe it's never going to reach it, but it's not very high. So that's how I define success. It's not, um, I don't want to make millions. Of course, if you make millions, it's always good. We're not going to say it's bad, of course. But I know that I have a certain a certain number in my head where I, I will feel comfortable and I will, will have the quality of life that I want. And um, yeah, success is really on every every project that you lead in your life and every everything that you do. Try to get closer to that goal and uh, and succeed uh, step by step and by attaining uh, reachable goals as well for each project. So there's one big goal where you have uh, this uh, way of life you want to reach, but then on each project you have a success as well. Well, that's really good. Thank you very much, Timothée. <laughs> that's that's very interesting. Thank you, Tim, for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for It's having me. It's been a pleasure. That wraps up another episode of the Radical Departures podcast. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to our feed on iTunes. And join us next time on Radical Departures. Radical Departures.